A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this uh, part two on the Kamarna Hasidic dynasty has been generously sponsored in memory of the post-war Kamarna Rebbe, uh, Rav Chaim Yaakov ben Avram Mordechai Safran, whose yard site is upcoming up right now on Erev Shavuos. So we're going to go into uh, part two, um, the story of um, of the Kamarna dynasty, a little bit more in depth in certain points in part one, some more stories. Just want to make a correction from uh, part one, um, a, a simple correction. I had mentioned um, Reb Nachman, and I had mentioned Reb Nassan of Nemerov, Nachman of Breslov and Ramnasan of Nemerov, and that Ramnasan of Nemerov had recorded the uh, Sfarim, written down and uh, edited the uh, Sfarim of Reb Nachman. And for some reason, I misspoke and mentioned Ramnasan as Reb Nachman's son. And obviously, he was his prime disciple, but he was not his son. Um, must have been a misspeak. And also, a Freudian slip, a student is akin to a child. So it, uh, perhaps it is a, a correct analogy. The Reb Nassim of Namra was so close to Reb Nachman that he was almost like a child. I was just also in, in Uman last week, and I talked a lot about Reb Nassim and Reb Nachman and their relationship. So I guess I just got confused there, and who knows what else I was uh, inhaling in Uman. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so also upcoming Shavuos now. So Meshpacha Magazine is out, and in the... Mishpacha Magazine, you're going to want to check out the extended uh, For the Record column that uh, Davi Safir and I have uh, written um, this week about uh, members of the Slabatka Kail in Bnei Brak in the 1950s and 60s, and prestigious and famous individuals who were studying there at the time and the story of the Slabatka Kail in Bnei Brak. And there's a much longer article, a very nice article, um, about Reb Shmuel Razovsky, the great Panovich Rosh Hashiva, including his visit to the United States, uh, unfortunately, when he was sick with cancer towards the end of his life. But uh, I gotta admit that uh, Davi did most of the work on that one, and my contribution was more modest. Getting back to Kamarna, um, so I got some feedback from part one. Here's one of the letters I got. Um, a, lis- a listener wrote, that I mentioned that Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Safran, the Kamarna Rebbe, the pre-war Kamarna Rebbe, would faint from the amount of energy he would exert 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but you made it sound like physical energy. Hasidim would probably say that as well, but even more so, they would add that it was because of the spiritual energy he exerted because of the kavana and dveikis uh, entailed during his davening. So, of course, that's definitely what I meant as well. And it was all that energy uh, must have caused him to faint. Um, I was also privileged to speak to several descendants of the Kamarna family who were gracious enough to share some tidbits and stories. And many of the stories and tidbits that I will be relating today came from uh, various different members of the uh, Kamarna family. I was looking into this, um, I mentioned in last, part one, about uh, many of the Kamarna Rebbes, and this is why we're having, having the, the story now during the days of the Sphira, um, is because many of the Kamarna Tzadikim passed away during Sphira Sairah. They had this uh, interesting habit. And I found some, I looked into it more. I was very curious about it. And I found some quite eerie uh, things, actually. Uh, to be honest, not all of them passed away during Sphere. Most of them did, but a couple of the pre-war ones actually did not. But for the most part, they did. So there's some interesting connections here. So first of all, the post-war Kamar Rebbe, who I just mentioned, it's dedicated in his memory, Reb Chaim Yaakov Safran, who um, who had immigrated to the United States before the war. I talked about him last time. So he moved to Yerushalayim at the end of his life, and he passed away in Yerushalayim on Erev Shavuos, shortly, just a couple, couple of hours before the onset of Yontif. And uh, some uh, rabbis in Yerushalayim at the time, they issued a psak that the Levaya should take place that evening on the holiday itself, which was quite a rare psak, and they walked uh, from Geula, from Malchisro, uh, on where he where he lived, where his house was, all the way to Harazesim. Um And all the Rebbes, all the great tzaddikim and Rebbes in Yerushalayim and their followers, thousands of people, they went to the Leviah in their Yantav finery, in Strimals, uh, throngs of people walking through Geula and Meisharim all the way to Harazesim on this Yantav Leviah. A very, very um, uh, rare and interesting occasion that uh, that they had now because of this whole sphere of things. So we mentioned I mentioned that Kamarna and its uh, mysticism and its connection to Kabbalah. So typical for Kamarna mysticism is the passing of the leaders during Sphere Saimer has mystical significance. The days of the Sphere Saimer often counted in many many communities using Kabbalistic terminology of the different spheres: Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes. So here's the story that goes, and it's actually recorded. Um, um, in the one of the Kamarna's farm, Ben Basi um, of of Rabbi Yezer Tzvi Safran of Kamarna, who I mentioned uh, in last episode, that he recorded a story that that came in the Kamarna tradition that his father, Rabbi Isaacal of Kamarna, was by his uncle, the, the patriarch of the whole Zidichov and Kamarna dynasties, Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch uh, Eichenstein of Zidichov. So he was so so his nephew Rabbisical Kamarna was once by him, and uh, Rabbi Hirshvizidichov said that about himself. He said, "I am Chesed. I'm the Mida of Chesed in the in the spheres in the seven spheres that we count during spheres. There are many count during spheres. that are used in very often in uh, in uh, Kabbalah studies and terminology." And then he said that he spoke about his brother. His brother was another Rebbe at the time, Reb Meisha of Sambur, which is another town in Galicia nearby. He said, I am Chesed, and Reb Meisha, my brother, is Gvura. And his son-in-law, Rabbi Yehuda Tzvi, who was a Rebbe in Rosla, another nearby town in Galicia, he is the Mida of Tiferes. 
And he said, you, my dear nephew, Rabbi Isaacal of Kamarna, are the Midah of Netzach. And then his, his other nephew, Rabbi Isaacal of Zidichov, is going to be the next Midah online, Haid. And then there's two remaining Midas, Yesaid and Malchus. And he said to his nephew, Rabbi Isaacal of Kamarna, he said, those belong to you. Those belong to you. So what did that mean? So Rabbi Eliezer Tzuyah Kamarna, who's recording the story in the introduction to his book, Ben Basi, so um, he said that, you know, that mean, that was how, when they passed away, it was during the weeks of Sphira, during it corresponded to those weeks. But then the story continues long after Rabbi Eliezer Tzvi himself wrote those words, because Rabbi Eliezer Tzuyah Kamarna wrote, uh, himself uh, passed away during the week of Yesaid, which is, as predicted, belonged to the family of Rabbi Zikl of Kamarna. And then many years later, Rabbi Chaim Yaakov Safran, who I just mentioned, was passed away in Erev Shavuos, which is obviously Malchus Sheba Malchus, the last Midah of the, of the Sphere Saimer. He gets the Malchus one. And Rabbi Zikl of Kamarna had passed away on Netzach Sheba Netzach. He got the Netzach one. Uh, so it's really, really astounding that uh, that it goes exactly during the sphere, each one during a different midah, during a different thing, which is all predicted by originally by Rabbi Hirsav Zidisha, which was uh, fascinating. In fact, Rabbi Chaim Yaakov, the last Rebbe, was always nervous, uh, the, excuse me, not the last Rebbe, the Rebbe after the war, um, was always nervous during Sphere Saimer. After Shavuos, he would give a breath of fresh air, uh, that he's feel, felt like he's going to live till next year because during Sphere he's always wary maybe this year is going to be the year and he knows that he's a Kamar Rebbe so he's going to pass away during Sphere which, uh, which is, brings me to the next story there was a son of Reb Chaim Yaakov Reb Alter Safran who worked in the Diamond District in, in Manhattan and eventually left the business and became a Kamar Rebbe in Borough Park and once during the Sphere, during Sphere, he remarked to a family member that he's quite nervous since all the Kamarna Rebbe's passed away during the Sphere. So this uh, family member, who was obviously close with him, otherwise he wouldn't have talked to the Rebbe like that, he retorted back to the Rebbe. He said, I think you're more nervous about not passing away during Sphere because that would be a heavenly symbolic sign that you're not really part of the Kamarna dynasty. So you want to make sure that you do pass away during Sphere. So... Um, that's uh, regards to that uh, Kamarna custom. Um, once we're talking about this Reb Chaim Yaakov uh, uh, of Kamarna, so there was uh, an interesting story. A, there was a, a fellow in Yerushalayim named uh, Reb Chaim Yitzchak Kohn, or in Yerushalayim, I think he might be still alive, and he heard uh, back in the day when the Kamarna Rebbe moved to Yerushalayim from the United States, he heard that the Kamarna Rebbe is now in Yerushalayim, so he wants to check him out. He heard he's a big Talmud Chacham and a big Tzaddik, so he wants to check it out. What's the situation there? So he went Friday night to his Tish, and there was barely any people there, very low attendance, less than a minion. So the Kamar Rebbe remarked, he said, it's probably because because my Torah is not good enough, uh, so people aren't coming. So this fellow said, you know something? I'll take care of it next Shabbos. Next Shabbos, he bought food, he bought beer, he got all good Heimish stuff, Arbis, other stuff. And then what do you know? It, it was packed. Word got out that there's good food in Kamarna, and a big crowd arrived, and that's how it remained. 
So this fellow said to the commander Rebbe, he said, you continue saying your Torah. The Torah is fine. I'll figure out what ma- what actually makes people come. And then uh, and that will make the people come. So just another couple of stories from the earlier Rebbe's of the dynasty. Um, in the early days, when this first was founded, Rebbe Hirsch of Zidichov, a student of the Chayza of Lublin, um, like I said last time, his, he and his brother, Rabbi Alexander Sender of Kamarna, was the founder of Kamarna, but he passed away young, so it was really up to his brother, Rabbi Zidichov, who was close with his nephews, and two of his nephews were two Rabbi Isaacloch, one Rabbi Isaacl later of Kamarna, and the other one was the Rabbi Isaacl of Zidichov. So this Rabbi Hirsch was once traveling uh, in a, you know, in a, in a, in, with his two nephews, with his two uh, nephews, these two rabbisicals, when they were still young, and he was deep in thought, traveling along the countryside in Galicia, and then all of a sudden he broke out of his trance and he said, "I just received two heavenly presents. One heavenly present is that I received with that the with that, that the the svarim that will be written by my descendants." will be popular, will be bestsellers. And the other one that I received was that I would have many chassidim. So who is taking what? So the future of Isaacal of Kamarna said, I'll take the Sfarim. I'll take the one. He was already writing manuscripts. He was already author of several manuscripts that were not yet published. And the Rabbi Isaacal of Zidichov took the chassidim. So even though the Kamarna, Rabbi Isaacal of Kamarna started his court first and Essentially, he, he was the first one to have Hasidim, but it never grew, it never uh, became quite large. It was always remained uh, somewhat small. And uh, and in Zidichov, they had more Hasidim. But the Kamar Nesfarim became super popular. They're, till today, they're bestsellers, all the enormous amount of uh, literary output, which I mentioned in part one. Um, till today, even now, uh, Haggadah was just sold uh, right before Pesach that, that flew off the shelves. Uh, there's a, a actually a Kamar Rebbe right here near me in Ramat Pechemesh. He put that together and, and the Sefer went off the shelves. So till now, the Kamar Nesfarim are always very well sold, whereas in Zidichov they had traditionally many more Hasidim. So that also came from the roots of the uh, Hasidus itself. Um, Another story, Rabbi Eliezer Tzvi Safran of Kamarno. He said he was the next Rebbe in the dynasty. So I mentioned in part one that I believe that Kamarna kept the custom that the tzaddikim would wear white much longer than the other dynasties. So I looked into it, and it's actually true. Um, I wasn't sure of it in, when I mentioned it in part one. The Rabbi Srol of Rizhin, the Rizhiner, and other Rebbes in the mid-19th century, they stopped that custom of tzaddikim wearing white, which had been started by the Baal Shem Tov. It really came already from the Arizal, um, and it, it was eventually stopped. Uh, Zidichov stayed a bit longer, and Kamarna kept, keep, kept it pretty much till today. On Shabbos, the tzaddikim wear white. Kamarna still keeps that original custom of the uh, Hasidah. So, Rabbi Yezer Tzvi once went for Shabbos to some other town to visit his Hasidim, and he was not wearing white. And his Hasidim said, how come? You're a tzaddik, you're the Rebbe, you were supposed to wear white. So he said, I'll answer with a parable. There's a market day in town, and this is common in the Eastern European towns. There was market days, and uh, and during those during those um, markets, so people would sell textiles and fabric and all kinds of other things that have stalls. And there was someone who had a booth with two or three fabric samples. 
and they were swarmed with customers. Where there was, there was another stall that had about 20 different fabrics, and there were very few people there. Why were there so few people by the ones that had so many, so much more to sell? So the answer was simple. The one who had a booth that was only two or three fabrics, it's because he was a representative of a very large company. And he brought just a couple of his samples. You can see what types there are. And then you place your order with the big factory back in the, in the big city where he came from. Whereas the one who had 15 to 20 fabrics, he was a, he ran a mom and pop shop of fabric. He brings everything. He brings his whole warehouse there, which was only about 20 fabrics. And, uh, and people understood that. So no one, no one, uh, very few people went to his stall. So that's the same thing here. He said, I don't have to bring an extra suitcase with all my clothing. I don't have to show off my whole wardrobe when I go to another town. I leave behind me, back home, a big factory called Kamarna, with all my ancestors, with all of what I have. And I don't need to show it off and, and, and bring every all my... Ha- I bring my samples, I bring who I am, and I don't need to bring uh, the rest of my wardrobe with me when I travel. And that's uh, that was, uh, also a powerful lesson in uh, in what dress and fashion means in, in, with people like that. Um, I mentioned also in part one how... The um, Isaacal of Kamarna had written this fascinating diary, an autobiography called Megillas Starim. Um, so originally it wasn't supposed to be printed. And, and, and he didn't want it to be printed, and it was only printed in the mid-20th century. But Reb Chaim Yaakov of Kamarna said, once it is printed, someone else printed it without permission. He said, it, but it isn't printed, but I'm going to go ahead and print it a second time because I want it to be printed correctly. So again, there's this dialectic here of it shouldn't be printed, but if it is, it should be done right. Uh, the Satmarov was actually very close with this Reb Chaim Yaakov Kamarna. And he once told him, he said, you know, the world has much more use from your ancestor of Eliezer Tzvi of Kamarna, the domestic Eliezer, than your other ancestor of Isaacal of Kamarna. And Reb Chaim Yaakov expressed surprise because Reb Isaacal was considered the father of the Kamarna dynasty and such a holy Jew. And the Satmarav, who was a very practical person, he said, because exactly that, Reb Isaacal, your, your great-great-grandfather, was an angel. It's hard to relate to angels. Reb Eliezer Tzvi, his son, said that it was difficult even for him to relate to his father. The Satmarav said, oh, it was difficult for him to relate to his father. That's the type of person I can relate to. It's easier to relate to someone who says that it's hard to relate to an angel. And that's also about the relationship uh, to have um, with uh, a rebel also. It's very, uh, very powerful. That's more of a story about the Satmarav, but it's about Kamarna. Um, another point that I, uh, that I brushed over, I wanted to get back to in, uh, in part two, was the uh, the relationship or or, or lack thereof of uh, between Zidichov and later Kamarna and the Haskala in Eastern Europe at the time, uh, the prime. Um, let's take a little background. Uh, Haskala uh, fought a long and protracted war with the Hasidic movement in the nineteenth century, especially in Galicia and Ukraine. And I would say that it's uh, that the war that the Haskalah fought was much more against Hasidism and the Hasidic movement and Hasidim and Sadiqim per se than in a more general sense traditional Jewish life. It was against the Tzadikim, it was against Hasidic practice and, and the Maskilim and the Haskalah at the time were vehemently against uh, 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 mysticism, anti-mysticism, anti-Kabbalah because they saw it as non-rational and 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 mystical and not not real, 
So because Zidichov and Kamarna were not just Hasidim, not just big tzaddikim, and they were sitting there right there in Galicia, but they were so focused on Kabbalistic study and practice, so they became a prime target for the Haskalah at the time, for for Reb Shlomi Yehuda Rappaport, and even more so, the most famous Maskil at that time in Tarnopol, Yosef Perel, who was the uh, number one enemy of the Hasidic movement in Galicia in the 19th century. He was the author of the anti-Hasidic uh, satire Megala Tamirin and other satir- satirical uh, works. Um, and uh, and he denounced Reb Tzvi Hirsch of Zidichayv to the Austrian government. He was accused of crimes like sending money to the land of Israel and smuggling books uh, across borders. And Reb Tzvi Hirsch, as a result of these denouncements, was even arrested once during Shalashudis when he was visiting the town of Yaroslav and he was actually expelled from the town. So, the the um there was this uh, ongoing friction and 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 the the Hirsch, Zidichai specifically and and later in general uh, uh and Kamarna became a prime uh, uh target of Haskala attacks and especially the Yosef Peril. So that's um an interesting story as well. I mentioned that there are two interrelated ideas in Kamarna tradition which is part of their uniqueness, uh, both the study and 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 publishing of Kabbalah. And also, and which is connected to that, uh, keeping the original ideals of the Baal Shem Tov Hasidus without watering it down. And, and these two concepts are obviously interrelated. So I want to elaborate on the second point from a historical uh, con- uh, context. I obviously don't know much about Kabbalah. I don't know anything about Kabbalah, actually. But there's much to say about the, deve- about the role of Kabbalah in the development of the Hasidic movement. The Baal Shem Tov, as well as the Magadim Rich, his prime uh, student and, and successor, were mystics. And they prescribed all kinds of mystical practices and exercises for their followers to reach dveikus, ecstatic prayer, etc., all sorts of um, central uh, components of their Avaida in, in the original preaching of the ideas of Hasidus. Now, shortly afterwards, when the movement became more widespread, most leaders of the Hasidic movement found that it was impractical, unrealistic, and to a certain extent undesirable or even dangerous to have this emphasis on mysticism with its accompanying practice. They therefore developed other ideas and practices and emphasis within Hasidism, such as the connection to the tzaddik and other ideas which replaced the original mystical emphasis on ecstatic prayer and the dveikus model. And this progresses over the 19th century, a somewhat distancing from the heavy emphasis on Kabbalistic pra- practice and, 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 and an ecstatic state of dveikus and, and during prayer, and, and, and finding other mechanisms which the Hasidic movement developed over the 19th century to, to emphasize instead. In only one group did they consciously protest against this trend and say, no, we will not deviate from the original and demanding mystical approach, even if it's impractical for the masses, even if it's... And, and, and they were less concerned about the, any risks involved and also, and that was the Zidichov Kamarna dynasty. Chabad did retain mysticism, but in a different way and with a different emphasis, which we'll perhaps get into at another time. So this can be illustrated through the development of the idea in, which is very popular in, in Hasidic thought, of what's known as, in the writings of the Baal Shem Tov and others, machshavay zareis, or how to deal with foreign or strange or inappropriate or disturbing thoughts during prayer or other times. This was a central component of the Baal Shem Tov's teaching. He said that they 
that the, these inappropriate thoughts must be confre- confronted and raised up to their source. They were klipas, they were trapped, nitsaitzis, they were sparks, which there's godliness within them, which needs tikkun, they need to be fixed, they need to be returned to its source and holiness. So one can't simply ignore these thoughts, one must deal with them and fix them up and return them to the source. And this was a big emphasis in the original thinking and and, uh, and ideology of the Baal Shem Tev. So understandably, later tzaddikim recognized that there's a danger here, especially when the movement became more widespread and many of the masses counted themselves among its ranks, so it was no longer an elite bunch close with a specific tzaddik like the Baal Shem Tev, striving for a specific mystical ideal. So when that was no longer the case and it became more widespread, so many of them addressed the Baal Shem Tev approach to dealing with these thoughts and kind of played it down and, and de-emphasized the, emphasis, the original emphasis of the Baal Shem Tev. For example, the Alter Rebbe, the Rebbe Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the first Rebbe in Chabad, he write, wrote in the Tanya, he advises to ignore these thoughts completely. Don't deal with them. Don't confront them. Don't try to do tikkun. Don't lift them up. It, much more traditional or Jewish traditional or we would call classic response also the Bnei Saskar and other tzaddikim at the time. The Alter Rebbe emphasized that the Baal Shem Tev approach of lifting them up was meant only for the great tzaddikim but not for the masses. Comes along Rabbi Isaacal of Kamarna and he declares that one must confront each and every one of these thoughts. You must fix them. You must do tikkun. Why? Because there's godliness there. Exactly as the Baal Shem Tev said. And he's the only one advising as such this late in the Hasidic movement. And he further declares not so subtly that unlike the others who say that one must ignore them and push them away, how can one push them away when we know there's godliness there? This isn't something exclusively for tzaddikim, but rather for each and every one equals over here. See, he's he's literally uh, pushing against what was becoming the mainstream of the Hasidic movement during the mid-19th century of his day. So there's several conclusions that we can say on the development of both the Hasidic movement and specifically of Kamarna during the over the course of the 19th and early 20th centuries. Number one, perhaps this is partially explains Kamarna's small numbers. They, they tried to stay to a, specific, to a certain ideal that many others saw as impractical. Number two, they stayed true to Balshemtivian ideals and did not adapt the movement's teachings to new realities. Number three, on the other hand, it was in a way very much more de- democratic. The ideals are for everyone. Kabbalah and mysticism are for everyone. Everyone can be a tzaddik, not just the tzaddik, right? And that's a powerful message which can resonate uh, uh, as well. Um, uh, there's just a few more points about other members of the movement. I spoke uh, at that time in, in part one about the original founder of the movement was someone who passed away young, the father of Rabbi Zikl of Kamarna, Rabbi Alexander Sender, who was not even named Safran yet. He was the brother, like I said, of Rabbi Hirsch of Zidishov. Um, passed away in his late 40s. Uh, so his son later became very close with his with his uncle, Rabbi Hirsch. But Rabbi Sender himself was close with both the Chayzeh of Lublin, who was his primary teacher, and also his brother, Rabbi Hirsch. Now, he authored a halachic work, as well as a Torah work, which became somewhat of a tradition in the Kamarna dynasty. But interestingly enough, when he passed away at a young age, it was in the town of Il, not in Kamarna. Il is in Hungary, and he's buried in Il, in Hungary. Now, this was the town of his friend, the Yismach Maisha, who was also a student of the Chayza of Lublin, who was Reb Maisha Teitelbaum, the founder of the Teitelbaum dynasty, 
who was the uh, the rabbi in in Il, and uh, and subsequently many years later when he passed away, um, the Yisrael is buried there too, so they're buried near each other, um, and the Yisrael delivers the eulogy for the first Kamarna Rebbe. Um, going back to the um, later on in the dynasty, and we'll finish off with this the irony that the last Kamarna Rebbe in Kamarna, who I mentioned was Rebar Safran, who was killed by the Nazis, he was killed on Shavuos, the second day of Shavuos. And the Rebbe who rebuilds Kamarna post-war is Reb Chaim Yaakov Safran, who was his cousin, who I mentioned was passed away on Erev Shavuos. So that's a very very interesting connection there, again, about the yard sites and Shavuos and Svira. Um, and, I, there was, and I mentioned that there was another Rebbe who was a descendant of the Kamarna dynasty, who was a Zalashatzer Rebbe, Reb Shem Klingberg, who also was killed during Sphira Sa'imer. He was killed at the end of Nisan. Um, so he was a Zalashitz Rebbe, not a Kamarna, but he came from the, the same dynasty. And I want to provide a few more details on both of those Rebbes who were killed by the Nazis, because as you many of you know by now, I'm a bit obsessed with the Holocaust and Holocaust victims, so we'll end off with a couple of stories about those two uh, martyrs. Rebarach Safran of Kamarna, who, like I said, was the last Rebbe of Kamarna, in his youth, he tried unsuccessfully immigrating to Palestine. He even asked Rabbi Shaya Shapiro, the Admor HaChalutz, the pioneering Rebbe, whom, who was the brother of the Piyatetzna Rebbe, who had moved to the land of Israel. So, so Rebarach Safran asked him for assistance in obtaining a certificate. It didn't work out, so he stayed in Kamarna. During the war, um, he, he, uh, his entire family was killed, including his elderly mo- mother, the old Kamarna Rebetzin. Uh, but his focus remained on helping others, both in a physical sense and in a spiritual way. Once the Kamarna ghetto was liquidated, he was deported to Sambor, and he'd gather his remaining fa- followers on Shabbos for an ad hoc tish under those conditions. Hard to believe. He also delivered a daily shear in the ghetto. Uh, when asked how is it possible to continue under such challenging circumstances, how could he continue doing these things? He replied that we find the strength to separate the mind from the body. The mind may not be able to grasp what's going on, but the body continues to function and do what it's supposed to do. And he was shot and killed in the Sambor Jewish Cemetery on the second day of Shavuos in 1943. And this last one, who I became fascinated with, mostly because of his rare name, Reb Shem Klinberg, the Zalashatzer Rebbe. Um, See, so he lived in Krakow, like I mentioned in part one. He was the Rebbe there for over 35 years. He had quite a long Rebbe career. And his great-grandfather, a bicycle of Kamarna, wanted him to be named after uh, the, for, for the Shem, the son of Noach, in the biblical <laughs> Noach, the son of Shem. A listener actually referred me to another person named Shem, which I had never heard of, and still such a rare name. Um, he was known as one of the most foremost Kabbalists in all of Galicia, and he even authored a massive Kabbalistic work, a huge and important Kabbalistic work, but he was then discouraged from publishing it by his Mechutin, the Ger Rebbe, the Emes, who said that the generation is not worthy of such a holy and uh, lofty Kabbalistic work of this kind, and it's not the right time for it, so he did not publish it and eventually, unfortunately, was lost. Uh, when he was taken to be shot in Plashov, uh, in, outside of Krakow, um, he asked to be able to don a pair of tzitzis and to recite the vidui, following which he was then uh, killed. So this uh, was, again, more about the great Kamarna dynasty. 
This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, uh, sponsorships, lectures, and you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.